Well, summer is here, isn't it? In all of its glory, if you've waited for those warm temperatures and sunny days, you've got them all full today. But this is also a time when we as fathers get a little recognition. You might think, well, that's fine. One day a year, that's enough. Because fathers can really, uh, they can be challenging sometimes. They can be underperforming in many ways. But today, we get to honor our fathers. Have you thought of two or three ways that you could say a special thanks or something that you appreciate about your father? I hope you're thinking about that and you'll take the opportunity, maybe in a phone call or if you're getting together in a meal, for a meal, that you could take some minutes and just say, Dad, I appreciate this about you. And maybe have a couple things on your mind. As I think about my dad, he was not perfect, but he also had some very good qualities. He was a man who, when he said he was going to do something, it may take him a while, but he did all that he could to accomplish it. And it may, at times, had cost him extra effort, extra expense. And I, as a kid, watched my dad fulfill his word many, many times, and I thought, wow, how can he do that, putting aside all of the expense and time that it takes to fulfill what he said he was going to do, but he did it. He also was a man of his word. When he said yes, it was yes, and it was no, it was no. Now, there also has to be a little bit of qualification by that. He was actually one who said his mind very directly. And so if you did not like his opinion, then that really didn't matter because he was going to tell you what his opinion was. Do you have a dad like that? Do you have a dad that is different? He was also a loving dad. He was a dad that gave a bear hug to show his appreciation, to show his love. And I can think of many, many times when he would hug me, even as an adult, as I began to leave and spend less time at home, when I would come back, he would give me that special hug to demonstrate that he really did love me. Well, this morning, we get to listen in on the perfect father. Now, that may be intimidating, fathers, but it's good news because we can begin to look at the way Jesus and the Father related, and you'll be able to see what your goal is, what your uh, opportunity is to better being the dad that you're supposed to be. So don't look at it as a negative because none of us can measure up. None of us can be good enough, but our example is there for us to learn and to lean into that responsibility by depending upon him. He wants us to trust him, to walk with him. Whether you're a dad, whether you're a child, a son or a daughter, he wants us to have that kind of relationship close to him, our Heavenly Father. So we're going to listen in today. We had the beginning last week. Pastor Dave gave us a good introduction into the prayer that we're going to look in John chapter 17, where he's talking a lot about his need to be glorified, his desire to be glorified, because it was his before all time began with the Father. And now today we're going to look at Jesus' relationship to the disciples, and we're going to learn from him. So let's stand, if you would. If you brought your Bible, we're going to be reading in John chapter 17, verses 9 to 19. So follow along as you see it on the screen. Verse 9. 
I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your, word, in your name, which you have given me, they, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, and I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. You may be seated. Thanks for honoring the word of God. We have before us here this interaction between Jesus and the Father. Few places in Scripture will give us this kind of detail about those prayers, those, those times that Jesus had with his Father. But Jesus is taking down all of the barriers, all of the, the distance for his disciples at this moment because he's bringing them to that place where they will be on their own, so to speak. He is leaving. That's a new reality. That's beginning to cause them to be upside down in their expectations because they expected that Jesus, being the Christ, the Messiah, would usher in the new kingdom that Daniel had expressed in chapter 7, where Jesus, the Christ, would take over the throne of David and rule completely with righteousness. But that was not going to happen right away. Jesus is going to fulfill that, but they had their timeline upended, changed, different than what they expected. And for that reason, Jesus had been talking over these last three chapters about leaving them and all of the change that was going to happen because of that. And so we have before us here, starting out, some reasons as to why Jesus is praying. We saw last week, as I mentioned, that he was praying because he needed to express to the Father his desire to be glorified in the coming day when he would be a sacrifice for men and women. But on now he changes, he, he closes that phase of his thinking and turns to his disciples. We have various reasons listed here in verse 9. He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, though, but for those whom you have given me. They are yours. You realize how special it is to be a child of God? He's looking at his disciples, and instead of looking and saying, good job, thanks for choosing me to be your follow that they are your followers, He's not looking at them and saying, you did a good job in choosing me, but he's looking at them and saying, the Father has chosen you. 
Where do we get this idea to start out with? It's because the Father, from the very beginning, wanted people to trust in Jesus. We know the interaction that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And as Nicodemus, a little curious about who Jesus was, came to him at night with some questions, immediately Jesus looks at him and says, you must be born again. And literally, it means born from above. It's absolutely fundamental that to be a follower of Jesus, God the Father had to begin the process for everyone. The 12, 11, so to speak, and for us. It's God who initiates this movement of people to trust in Jesus. He goes on in chapter 4 with the woman at the well. And what does he say there to her? He says, you are here, but you're not worshiping the right God. And he makes a summary statement that just about makes me stop and look and say, why is he saying this? He says, God is looking for true worshipers. That is God's desire. He's looking. You might think, well, I made a decision to follow Jesus. But the reality is the Father has been drawing and moving and working in your life and mine so that we might become followers, disciples of Jesus. And so there is a special relationship because of that. And we have an identity as a child of God, not because we figured it out or that we chose God, but that first he chose us. And he made it possible that we understand. A little bit before in this chat, in these verses uh, that Jesus has been talking to his disciples about, he made it very clear that the Spirit would be the one sent from the Father to actually convict the world of sin, to open the eyes of those who are blind, to make it possible that we could respond, that they could respond in faith in Jesus. So from the very beginning, the disciples were a gift to Jesus. Imagine that. Think of that. That you and I are gifts from the Father to the Son. That's a very special relationship. That is something that we should, we should recognize that brings us so close in God's mind that he wants this long-term relationship with us. But there's another reason that Jesus is speaking to the Father in this way, and that is in verse 10. And he says, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Imagine this idea that God is glorified because of us. How is that possible? Is it that my life is just such a, a model of what it should be, that God is glorified? In part, it should be. But first of all, that what we declare is really the reality that we've trusted in. That Jesus, being equal with the Father, was sent into the world, and that they who believe in him are putting their trust that he is the representative of the invisible God. And not only that, that he went to the cross. He made it possible so that sinners like you and me can trust in his sacrifice and be alive because of his work in our life, the faith that we, that we have in him. 
And so there is this special relationship where we begin to walk with Jesus because he called us, because he worked in our hearts, and we put our faith in him, and then we become like him as we follow his commands. It's very special relationships, much like I have with my kids. You might say that it's possible to love all children, and I think I do. There's not a child that is less than uh, a gift from God. But there is a special relationship with my children. I have brought, been part of the process of bringing them in the world. And some might say they even look like me. Well, I'm not sure about that, how much resemblance that is physically, but there is that special relationship that we have as fathers with our children. And that's exactly the kind of relationship that Jesus felt as he called his disciples. They became followers, those who trusted in who he said he was from the Father. And now we're at this point where he's going to distance, him, distance himself. And that's the third reason why he's praying to the Father. Look at verse 11. And he says, I am no longer in the world. Within 24 hours, he was going to be on the cross. His life, physical life on earth was going to end. And so for this reason, he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. They are going to remain. They're going to continue on. And for that reason, I'm coming to you, Holy Father, because there are special needs that they have. And that's the second part of our time today. But let's take just a moment and say, what does that mean for us as fathers? As we see the reasons for why Jesus prayed to the Father, what does that show us about him? It shows us that we need a father whom we belong to and who loves us. The father cared so much that he made everything necessary to bring us to salvation in Jesus. And we need to have fathers like that also. We need to have fathers who are ready to help, ready to love. Physically, emotionally, we need fathers who are doing exactly what our Heavenly Father is doing, concerned about each person who is a part of his family. Have you been that kind of dad? It's very common in our society today that fathers are either absent physically and or emotionally. I did some reading this week and found out that 80 to 90% of all the men that are incarcerated today, they're in prison. You check their home, dad was absent. There was no relationship with their dad. You look at delinquency, those who drop out of school. 70% of, of all kids who drop out of school Dad was not there. He was absent. So you see how important it is that we reflect dads, our heavenly father, who was there, who's concerned, who's holding up, who's demonstrating his love to us, his children. That's a good area to check this season, fathers. How much are you apart? Are you there present? Are you there mentally? Are you there emotionally? Are you spending the time and the direction to give to your children? Well, as Jesus talks to the Father, 
he moves from the reasons for his request to the actual request. And we see these from uh, verse 11 through 17. First of all, he says, Holy Father, verse 11, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. What does he mean by keep them in your name? Name is synonymous with identity, with the person whose name is being talked about here. And so we could say it in this way, keep them in your name is to keep them loyal to your identity revealed in me. That's why Jesus came to reveal the invisible God, the one who is overall the Father. And Jesus came into the world to describe for us who God is. He revealed him. Well, the first time the disciples came to this realization was not because they figured it out by themselves. If you remember in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? How did they respond? Well, some say you're, you're John the Baptist or you're Elijah or you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responded with one of the most fundamental and important declarations that we have in Scripture. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus applauds that, confirms that, but he also says, you are blessed not because you figured that out, Peter, but because your Father has revealed that to you. The Father had opened the eyes of Peter and the other 11 to the point where they recognized who Jesus really was. But now that he is leaving, it's important that they continue in that name, convinced of who Jesus was. And the death and resurrection were a pivotal point in this whole process. Jesus was being hung on a tree between two thieves or robbers or criminals. How could it be that he is innocent? I'm sure that that was on the minds of the populace in general, but his disciples needed to see and understand that there was purpose for him doing that. There was the fundamental plan of the Father being worked out that men and women could be clean, righteous, forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Well, there was also the time just in this night that we're, where Jesus is praying to the Father in chapter uh, 14, where there was some discussion about him leaving, and Philip says, well, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus looked at him and said, Philip, don't you realize if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? What an important declaration. What an important revelation that Jesus has given his disciples. And subsequently, we have record of that because of them writing it down, giving us the written word that confirms all that he said and has shown. So the first request that he has is, Father, keep them in your name. Keep them trusting, immersed, understanding that no matter what they see in the next days, I am revealing the Father. I, you need to keep them 
in this name. But there's also one other danger that he's asking that, that the Father keep them from. Look with me in verse 15. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Who is this evil one? It's obvious. It's Satan himself. The scriptures describe him as the prince in the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2. He's the one who leads the world. Those who are in rebellion don't want the rule of God over their life. They are being led by the enemy principle. That is Satan. And it's very tempting for disciples to become confused. When everybody is moving in a certain direction, we don't like to be going against the grain, do we? It's not easy. It's difficult. How much they would be forced to make choices. And even Jesus says, you're going to be scattered. Not one of you will be with me in that hour, in the next 24 hours. And for that reason, Jesus is asking the Father, keep them from following the evil one. Keep them from going with everyone else who is rejecting me. It's very tempting to get out of balance with the world. But that's exactly what Jesus is asking his disciples to do. It's tempting to think, well, I can just be quiet. If I just don't say anything, nobody will know that I believe in Jesus. There's also the idea that I could just isolate myself and just stay away from those who disagree with me. Well, we've seen all of those worked out in church history. And you may even think, well, there's all this distance between what men believe and what I believe, and how do I keep this balance? Let me show you just this slide that gives you just an idea of the variety of responses to Jesus. What does it mean to be in the world, but not of the world? That's what he's describing here. The first thing that he says by being in the world is you adopt everything that's in the world. You agree with the world. Your attitudes are like everyone else. We see that in the liberal response to Jesus. They are in the camp of being just like the world. There's nothing that's different. It could be described as, it's okay, I'm okay and you're okay. So whatever you want to believe, just choose a way and follow it. That would be the liberal response to Jesus. Don't get so upset about Jesus being exclusive. Just make him available. If people want to choose him, fine. That would be one response. On the other extreme, it would be people who would be isolated, be in their own little groups so that they stay safe from the world. Well, that's the two responses that Jesus is not describing here. What he's actually describing is in the middle. To be in the world, but not of the world. What does that look like? It's people who have been convinced of who Jesus is, that he is the only solution for our need. He is the one and only one who gives salvation, and we have put our trust in him. And we invite people to experience that same relationship. We tell them how important he is to us. We spend time with them so that they understand that we love them just as God loves them, and we want them to experience 
being a child of God. That's what it means to be in the world, around people, taking the initiative to express who Jesus is, but not of the world, not adopting the same attitudes and the same opinions of the crowd and the way things uh, progress from the evil one. So how do we keep that balance? Well, he, he continues with his third request here, and he says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. That's the way that we stay in balance. We have to have the word of God. We have to be continually reminded and shown from the word and from the Holy Spirit that what I believe about Jesus, that he was God who became man and did everything necessary for my salvation, that's what I continue in. That's what the word says. We need to continue in that. And that's what Jesus is asking here. He's asking that the Father immerse the followers that he has been given in the revelation of himself, the Son. There are many different possibilities of how people respond to Jesus. It's very tempting for people to just add a few things to Jesus. A number of years ago, I had a conversation with someone from a different faith. And they agreed with me about who Jesus was. They agreed with me that it's necessary to put faith in Jesus. But at the end of our conversation, they said, would you like to see what else God wants you to know that will complete what you believe? And they were offering me the opportunity to look at an extra book. As I looked at that book, I thought, how could this complete what's already complete? And so my understanding of the word, which Jesus is saying, sanctify them in that word, set them apart so they're immersed in who I am from your word, bumping into some other invitation to look beyond that just didn't make sense to me. But listen to what his suggestion was. Just read this book and ask yourself, could it be that this is really true? He was inviting me to just step out for a second from what I've been convinced of and see if you can add this to Jesus. Well, there are no additions necessary. And the Father is the one who keeps us, who's the one who shows us the word that we need. Well, <clears throat> there are many ways that we can prepare for this kind of situation, to be challenged by the world, to be put in situations that are uncomfortable. What's necessary is that we have preparation, that we look at the Word of God, that we incorporate the Word of God, we understand it, and we continue in it. It's said that if you teach children, and probably uh, Peggy Maines, who leads our ministry to children, if you were to set in on some of the classes and a teacher would ask a certain question about the faith in Jesus or a particular Bible question, most of the children will raise their hand and say, I know the answer, I know the answer. And it may even be about the Noah and the ark. And they'll say, the answer is Jesus. 
And if you've ever taught children, you understand that that is the normal response. Jesus is the answer to everything. But that is more right than you can imagine. There is the need to see how Jesus brings all the things together from the scriptures. And it's important that we are settled on who Jesus is and how we relate to him as the God who became flesh and has done everything necessary for us. Someone showed me a quote this week as we were preparing and discussing the sermon. They saw it at, uh, above the door of a, of a teacher. And it says, prepare the child for the path, not the path for the child. And that's a very, very good orientation. Prepare the child for the path, not the child um, not the path for the child. As you can see, there are many temptations. There are many ways that we can deviate and, and miss the mark. And what God is wanting for us is not to take us out of difficult situations, but show us how we move through them faithful to him, revealing who the Father is in Jesus. Those are the people who are really prepared. So for a father, the heavenly father that we have, we as children need a father who protects us in a hostile world. He doesn't take us out of the world, but his intention is to be with us in the world, helping us to be faithful to the testimony of Jesus that has been revealed to us. Well, the third thing we see here is Jesus' result for his disciples. What is Jesus expecting after he's asked the Father to keep them, to sanctify them, to continue with them when he's gone? What is, what is his purpose for his disciples? He reveals that here in verse 16. He says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. And then verse 18 as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You'll notice here that he uses the past tense here. And yet his crucifixion and resurrection are still future. How is it that he's using past tense here? Well, it's so sure in his mind, and he's already talked about it in chapter 15, when he said, I've chosen you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So there has been discussion that there is a continuation. I want you to continue with what I started. But it's so sure that he's using past tense. He's looking forward to that time where he actually says, as I have been sent, so send I you. He says that in chapter 20, verse 21. After he showed Thomas his hands, the nail prints in his hands, the gash in his side, all that physical evidence that should lay to rest any doubts that his disciples had, that he really did die and he really is alive, he's resurrected, that is the Jesus that you can trust. And so you need to take that message to the whole world. And so he's saying that as the result of him asking the Father to keep them and to sanctify them. Now they have been sanctified for this mission of continuing what he started. It's very interesting that 
he had already talked about that, and it was going to be a difficult process. In chapter 15, uh, towards the end here, in 26 and 27 of chapter 15, he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So what's the purpose that Jesus is laying before his disciples? That they be active witnesses. Now that's not easy in a hostile situation. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone that responded negatively about Jesus? Didn't want to hear it. Was it the, the conversation becomes very awkward and it becomes difficult. Not that he is wanting us to be people who are debaters, but we should be ready to say what the word says with respect to who Jesus is. That's God's purpose for his disciples. He wants them to be witnesses. The interesting thing here is that he's saying before that, the spirit will be sent to assist you in that process. If it were not for that, I don't know that any of us would be able to be faithful to express who Jesus is in a hostile situation. The demands to go down on your conviction, to, to be less exclusive, to say, well, there may be other options to the Father. But no, the Spirit of God will convict the world of sin, righteousness, of judgment, of what Jesus, of who he is. That Spirit is still at work today. So if you get an opportunity to reveal to your coworker, to your family, to your neighbor, who Jesus is, God has already been working. Isn't that good to know? That it's not just you out there slugging away, being faithful, but it's the Holy Spirit who is doing the process that you can't do. Convicting, changing, opening the eyes, spiritual eyes of those that need to hear. There's special joy with this activity of being his witness. Did you see that in verse 13? He says, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. It's not that we have this obligation and we just have to be faithful and we have to talk about Jesus. Doesn't matter if people reject us, you'll enjoy that. No, <laughs> I don't know that it's ever enjoyable to have a negative reaction or, or rejection. But our joy is not based upon how people respond to the message of Jesus. Our joy is tied to the faithfulness that he've asked us to be his witnesses and that he then is working through us, using the words that we say, revealing through us as changed people the, the message, the truth of it. That's exactly what the disciples were supposed to have learned from Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. It would be interesting for you to look at that this afternoon, but just very quickly, Jesus is saying, don't believe that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you to lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. 
Sometimes I get into the phase in the, in, the, in the response, well, if they didn't accept, they rejected this message that I believed in, well, I failed. Or there's something wrong with what I said or the way I said it. And there may be a time when we try to correct those mistakes that we are obviously seeing as the Spirit shows us that. But the world in general will reject the message of Jesus. That's the normal response. But he's saying here, those who sow, who give witness to who Jesus is in their life and who he is from the scriptures, they should rejoice equally with the one who is seeing response of people coming to faith. Do you rejoice when you get an opportunity to talk about Jesus? That's exactly the response that we should have. As the Father works in us, we should be ready to say, Jesus, use me in any situation. And if I am active in this process of being his witness, he's saying, I'm going to fill your life with joy. It's not based upon the response you're going to get, but it will fulfill you. It will make you full of joy. I can remember those first few days after I came to that realization that Jesus really was who he said he was and that that demanded a response from me. I remember walking from my residence on campus at Ohio State and those first few days, it was like a new world. I had been in charge of my life before that and I had made a mess of it. I was not satisfied. But when I turned to Jesus, I realized he was the one who was going to fulfill me every day. And it, it looked like there was a, a new shine to the sun. There was new realities that were unfolding before me because the Father now had access to my heart. And he was showing me more and more how incredible Jesus is. And I began to respond to that. And the joy that I had in my heart gave me the motivation to want to talk about him to people that I worked with. I still remember a couple of the other students that were in my department uh, at Ohio State. I was a grad student at the time. And they were from Uganda, another one was from Brazil, and another one was from Malaysia. And I realized as I interacted with them that they never really interacted with Jesus before. They didn't really believe in him. And so I began to tell him how much he had satisfied my heart <laughs> just in the last few days. And I invited them to respond to Jesus too, to be a follower of his. That's the joy that you experience when you're a part of his mission. When you're included in the family of God, it's not just a ticket to heaven, but it's a relationship with the Father and the Son to the point where you're filled to overflowing and you just can't keep quiet. You've got to talk about him because he's fulfilled you in numbers of ways and you begin to tell about him. That's what he wants in a relationship with us so that we begin to express how important Jesus is. That's what it means to be a witness. I'm convinced of the truth and now it's a part of my life. Would you like to be a part of the, this relationship with God? Well, for fathers, we need to prepare our children for that kind of relationship. 
And we need a father who prepares us to participate in God's mission. And so as a father, do you spend time talking to your children about being a witness? Do you demonstrate with your actions that you're active in it? That's the highest form of teaching. Your personal example in it. Are you studying the Word of God so that you become more and more convinced that Jesus is exactly who he said he was and that he can be depended upon for salvation and for day-to-day life? The reality is that there is unlimited joy in being a child of God active in the mission of God. You can be a part of that as you respond to who Jesus is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are the one who has been revealed through Jesus to us. Thank you for keeping the disciples so that they were faithful in writing down all the details that we can experience and read today to be convinced of ourselves. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who does the work of convicting and bringing us spiritually to that point where we give up our own attempt to live life independent of you and say, I need Jesus. Without him, I am nothing. Thank you for doing that work in us. And thank you for your preparation that you've done in our lives to make us your witnesses. Lord, I pray that we would be ever more active, giving witness to Jesus as the only one who can be trusted with our lives. Thank you for revealing yourself through Jesus. Amen.